morning, friends. Well, if you're new with us, my name's Anne, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to do week three of this series we started at the beginning of the month. This series is all about better in 2019, and the better that we're talking about is all of us becoming more like Jesus. Now, we started off by talking about our relationship with God, because that's always where he starts, and we talked about making more time this year for being still with God in his presence. And then last week, Jared talked about gathering. That is the gathering on the weekend. And he challenged us all to be here 10 out of 13 Sundays leading up to Easter. And in addition to that, he gave us a really cool set of tools to help us develop any new habit, including the habit of gathering. And those, those tools are good for all kinds of applications. But it was really cool to look at that. And now, this week, I get to talk to us about the worst small group ever. Are you ready? You just love that, don't you? How many of you have been to the worst small group ever, and you don't need a, a talk on this? Yeah, okay. No hands going up. It's not, it's not safe, is it? Uh, well, you know, we're kind of complex people, and there's our spirit, there's our mind, will, and emotions, and there's our physical body, and all of those things, there's a lot of parts of us that aren't really visible to other people just in passing, especially when we're sitting in rows here, for them to know. And then there's self-talk, right? The stuff we say to ourselves that nobody else knows about, not even our closest friends. And that's why I like to use the metaphor of an iceberg as a picture of our individual lives, not our lives together, but our individual lives, because as we know, 10% of an iceberg is above the surface where everyone can see it or anyone who encounters us can see it, but 90% of it is underneath the surface. It's getting down below there where you really get to see what that iceberg looks like. And our lives are a lot like that, and we're talking about how do we become known to each other when so much is going on that's only uncovered through meaningful connection because it's below the surface. It's not uncovered on a Sunday morning when we're sitting side by side. It's really covered in a cover or covered or discovered in a circle of people sharing together. Now, growing up with an alcoholic parent, I developed a habit of keeping things very close to the vest, as they like to say, or close to the chest. Not sharing with others anything that dipped down below the surface, unless, of course, it was something positive, which usually is right up there at the very top, right, of the just below the surface. On top of that, our family were a good Scandinavian German bunch who didn't place a lot of stock in sharing about emotions and messy stuff with one another. So we were just making life work the best we knew how at that time. Can any of you relate to that? So it was not until my senior year in high school when I'm not sure God designed this intervention because it was an unpleasant one, but he gave me the opportunity for an intervention my senior year in high school that I began to work on changing that habit I developed of keeping everything secret which our family was very good at. The truth is, though, that even with my work on it, my courage with opening up to others really developed slowly. And today, I'm still learning how to be a person who can let people in below the surface to see the 90% underneath the water. It's, it's not that easy. It's not natural for me. Now, contrary to popular opinion, most people 
nowadays are experiencing a lack of meaningful connections to one extent or another. And it's never been more true since the onslaught of social media. Now, I know some of you might be saying, what do you mean? I feel more connected than ever. It's so great having all these options to connect with people. I mean, I can contact my family across the United States. But the interesting thing is it doesn't necessarily feed meaningful connection. So let's talk about that for a minute. You see, social media interactions have been researched now, and it's shown that the more pervasive um, loneliness happens in both cultures and age groups where social media is the highest, social media usage. So there is this inverse relationship between social media usage and meaningful connection. Now, different kinds of social media influence our sense of loneliness or social isolation in varying amounts. So the Text-oriented social media, like Twitter, feed social isolation highly, really affect it. But photo social media doesn't feed it as much, but still contributes to it. But in fact, they have discovered, researchers have discovered that we have an epidemic of loneliness going on, and it's not just in the United States, it's across God's big world. And in fact, so much so that the Prime Minister, Theresa May of the UK, decided she needed to do an initiative about it. And of course, in good British fashion, she appointed a Minister of Loneliness to deal with the problems of modern life, this disconnect that's happening in people's lives that leaves them to feel isolated even when they're in a crowd. Maybe you've experienced that too. But you know, it's not just our mental health loneliness that's affected by a lack of meaningful connection. It's also our physical health. Now, some of you may have listened to the TED Talk by Susan Pinker. She's a developmental psychologist, and she studied a group of people that all had one characteristic in common. Well, actually two. They were all 100 years old or more, centenarians, as we like to call them. And they all were on this island of Sardinia, an island off of Italy, now, the thing about this group is that there were 10, there were six times more centenarians than they had on the mainland. And there were 10 times more centenarians in Sardinia than they had in North America. So this made this excellent pool for her to study what is it that contributed, what factors contributed to their longevity. And she made an amazing discovery in her research that the primary, the leading factor in contributing to their longevity was face-to-face conversations. It was as simple as that, face-to-face conversations. And one of her conclusions from her research was this, that every person needs a circle, referring to a circle of people to which they can lean on and have regular face-to-face conversations with. Now, if you've been around here any length of time at all, you've heard us say that we want to be a community of people where everybody has somebody who knows their name and their story, and they could call them at three in the morning, because that's really knowing them, right? But why is that important to us? It's important to us because that's how God designed us to grow in him, through meaningful connections with one another. Think with me for a minute about God's favorite metaphors for believers, for the collection of those people who follow Jesus. 
Let me mention three, the body, the bride, and family. Now, all of these metaphors have this commonality. They share this in common, that an intimate connection exists between all of the parts. Each of these metaphors also could be described as connected but messy in that connection. So what do I mean? Well, some of us hear that we're Christ's body. You read that in the Bible, and I know what comes to mind, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Van Diesel or somebody like that, some bodybuilder out there. This perfect sculpted physique with no pimples, flab, flatulence, vomiting, illness, or other messy things involved, right? I mean, maybe you don't. Maybe you picture somebody weak and pathetic. I mean, I don't know. But we tend to think this physical specimen that's amazing. But Jesus made it clear that while he's perfecting his body, he's making us better, in other words, the implications are that the body still includes the weaker members, the less seemly parts, the messy stuff. And the parts and travails of a typical human. And I've got to say, that is not always pretty. So let's look at the bride metaphor. Now, that's, that seems like one of the more beautiful pictures he could have given us of this connection that we have. But this side of heaven, that's a pretty messy one, too. Anybody met Bridezilla, the woman who changes personality going into the ceremony? But it, it goes beyond that. I have a friend who was uh, planning her wedding, and her and her fiancé were very detailed. And they had their to-do lists. And they got to the wedding day, and the pastor, it's before the ceremony itself, and he's getting everything assembled for the ceremonial pictures, et cetera. And he asks them for their license. It was then that they realized, both of them, that they had forgotten one tiny detail in their preparation. That's right their wedding license. They had none. Now, I know some of you would be distressed if I didn't give you an end of the story on that one. They did get married that day, and their pastor said, now, you just go get the license a few days from now. It'll all be good. So now they have a story for their kids. Messy. The bride metaphor is messy. What about the family metaphor? Well, we just had the holidays, and we all have stories after the holidays and being with family. But those stories include a lot of good stuff, the warm fuzzies, the hugs we got, the connections we made, catching up on family life, but it also includes some dysfunctions. It usually includes some disappointments. It usually includes some disputes even. When you really get behind the scenes in a family, it's messy. Now, I think that God used these metaphors on purpose for us. I think that he knew that we would struggle our way toward meaningful connections and that the messiness is a part of that. Now, Jared and I have a longtime friend from college, Mike, and he calls his church the junk drawer church. I mean, they stay out in public all the time. They laugh about it. Why is that? Well, because they haven't been hit by Marie Kondo and her tidying up yet, okay? Because they're not referring to that kind of junk drawer. They're referring to the fact that most people have a junk drawer where It's very messy, but it's all in one drawer. That's what we're talking about. It's very messy. Meaningful connections are very messy, but they're all in one drawer. They're connected. And that's where we're going. You see, he's designed us to live our life in relationships with each other. And he knew that it was going to be messy. 
And he uses this wonderful word in the New Testament to talk about this mingling that we'd have. It's called koinonia. I grew up going to camp by that name, but it's really just a Greek word that means partnership. Even more, participation, participating with each other, communing together, sharing life together. And that's what God really wants for every single one of us, that everyone would have someone that knows their name and their story and they could call at three in the morning because they know that person would be there and love them and accept them no matter what kind of news they called with at three in the morning. That's not just a saying. The big idea today is this. We grow to be more like Jesus when we genuinely connect with one another in small groups that foster courageous vulnerability, loving accountability, and compassionate care. Circles are better than rows or screens for fostering meaningful connections. Therefore, we want to look at three things that help create these meaningful connections when we'll go face-to-face with someone. First of all, courageous vulnerability. To be vulnerable needs to be honest with others. To open up yourself to physical or emotional hurt or being damaged in some way. Everybody ready to sign up now? Because that's dangerous. Sharing your life with others in a way that exposes you to criticism, to rejection, or to other kinds of wounds and hurts. Brene Brown, in her book, Daring Greatly, defines it as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. She said that courage starts with showing up and letting yourself be seen. That's what vulnerability is all about, isn't it? And I show up with a group of people face to face and let myself be seen. Now, I also have to say, isn't this our biggest fear about small groups of any kind? Yeah. Yeah, it's that whole thing. And Jesus knew the risks involved in being connected with a group of imperfect people, which we all are. Yet he still had a small group. He intentionally created one so that he could make disciples out of this ragtag bunch of people. And Mark tells us how that started. It says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him, And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out or drive out demons. The first thing is that Jesus wanted to know this group. And he wanted this group to know him. He wanted them to know his name and his story and be able to call at three in the morning. He wanted all of them to have that. His first purpose in putting the group together, he said, was to be with him. It was all about relationship with him and with one another, hanging out, having meals together, traveling together, swapping stories together, messing up together, learning from each other, and just deciding to be part of a group is a vulnerable step, isn't it? Just taking the first step and showing up that first week, that's a big step because you might just become known. They might just see something below the water level in your life. Jesus' small group probably qualified for the title, Worst Small Group Ever. Okay, let's just review this. Did these men ever disappoint Jesus? Did they ever let him down? Did they abandon him in his most difficult moments? 
Yeah. Did they make big promises and then break them? Did they compete with each other for most power in the group? Yes. Did they eventually, one of them, betray him? Did they all desert him? I mean, some of you are feeling a lot better about your small group experience. All of a sudden, hey, man, ours was better than Jesus' group. The thing is, have you ever experienced some of those things in your own small group? This is what's important to know. Jesus walked straight toward being wounded because he knew that the results were worth it. He knew all these things were going to happen with this group. We walk into it not knowing that some of those, or maybe believing that none of that will happen. But he still walked straight into it because he knew the results were worth it. Have you ever experienced that, what I call holy discomfort, when you know you're supposed to share something, but you're not really comfortable sharing it? Okay, that's that moment of vulnerability, and our minds are filled with what ifs at moments like those. Will they judge me? Will they criticize me? Will they think less of me? That's a big one for many of us. Or will they share this with someone else that isn't in this group? And I shared it in confidence. That's another one that we think. These are the fears attached to being vulnerable with each other. So as a pastor, sometimes the stakes seem even higher for us to do that, to be vulnerable in a group. Because people have higher expectations for us. So we're pretty sure that we could be breaking some white knight in armor, shining armor kind of moments. So in our rooted groups, one of the things that happens from week one is that everybody gets a chance to share some part of their story. It might be their story of coming to faith in Christ. It might be the story that brought them to rooted because they're still on their way to Christ. And it might be something very current. And so we were leading our second rooted group, and I thought that this time, instead of sharing my story of coming to faith in Christ, that I should share a current story that I was wrestling with in my own life. And those thoughts started. What will they think about this? But I didn't know what was coming. So at that time, I was going through a very difficult time with our HOA as the president, and I shared some of that in this group. But one individual in particular was focused on me because of my role as president. And that one individual in public times would speak out with such venom And it was very difficult for me. And then on top of that, because she was medicating her pain with alcohol, I would receive these private emails at all hours of the night. And in those, they would be just um, extremely critical, sometimes even nonsensical because of her condition. But it still was very distressing to me. And so I asked the Lord, why am I so distraught about this besides the obvious that nobody likes to be not liked, right? None of us likes to be attacked. But I was just super distraught. Literally, it was affecting me every day. And he told me, he showed me, he said that that what I was experiencing, I was reliving the trauma of my childhood when my dad would come home drunk and we would face the uncertainty of what he would do that night and the actuality of what he did, the trauma of that. And having this experience with this woman just caused me to relive that. Well, I felt like I was supposed to share that with the group, that, the story of that. Well, this is week one, right? So you all are going to really want to go to a rooted group after this. 
So I started sharing it with him. The thing is, sometimes when you start sharing something, you don't really know what's going to happen. And what happened for me was I began to cry. Now, that wouldn't be a surprise to you, but it was not a pretty cry. It was not a few tears trickling down. I began to sob because something in me broke in that moment. Something broke from my past, from what I'd experienced then to what I was experiencing now, and God's healing begin to come in. We're only as sick as our secrets. So being able to share that, the fears that I had of what the group would do were not realized whatsoever. You see, what did my group do? They came around me, they laid hands on me, and they began to pray for me. And they all came back the next week. That that was the good news. (laughs) So courageous vulnerability allows others to see below the surface in our lives. And it helps us follow Jesus more faithfully. It brings healing. It brings wholeness. It's the best thing we could do. But the devil, the enemy of our soul, will convince you, will work his best to convince you that that's the exact opposite, right? That that's the most dangerous thing you could do. So courageous vulnerability. The second one is loving accountability. I love what the message says in Hebrews 3. Let's pick it up in verse 12. So watch your step, friends. Make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around that will trip you up and throw you off course, diverting you from the living God. For as long as it's still God's today, keep each other on your toes so that you don't slow down your reflexes. If we can only keep our grip on the sure thing that we started out with. We're in this with Christ for the long haul. I love the way he's written that in the message. You see, accountability is all about you and me accepting responsibility for our actions. And loving accountability is what this writer to the Hebrews called keeping each other on our toes about the one thing that we started with that we want to hang on to. And what's that one thing? It's Jesus, friends. It's hanging on to him, to following him, not getting off the path. And we can help each other with this. That's what our accountability is around. And Jesus showed us what this looks like in a small group. He took time to let Peter know that he was going to fail him and what to do when it happened so that he had assurance that there was a way back. It was not the end, like he might think. When his group was worrying uselessly, He addressed it. And when they wanted to pay back people who rejected them with some serious payback, he rebuked them. And when they were full of themselves and arguing about who was greatest, he showed them a better way. Jesus was not afraid to hold his group accountable. So this happened this last Thursday. That's right. I missed my workout session. um, And I got a little note. You see, when you miss a session and you didn't cancel within eight hours of it, you get what's called an accountability fee of $12. I love that title, an accountability fee. So I decided I'd worked out two days and I'd had my day off and I just didn't feel rested enough. And I wanted that time in the morning, which is my prime time, to do, get a lot of work done. So I was going to skip that day. I decided that when I got up. And before the session I was skipping was even over, I had this text from Lisa. And she said to me, we missed you in the 6 a.m. class. Are you okay? Now, I want to highlight this because this was a great way to approach accountability, even as we do it with each other. The first thing is she started with relationship. We missed you. Are you okay? 
So often we think of it as we've got to go straight to a challenge or straight to a, this is what you did wrong or straight to this. But instead, she assumed the best and she asked me, are you okay? And she let me know that I was missed. And I love that. So start with relationship when you're being held accountable. Secondly, offer a path toward, uh, to be responsible and avoid the negative consequences, which she did that for me as well. She said, do you want to attend a later class today to avoid the $12 accountability fee? That required a response. And I want to say, this is really effective. Accountability does work. I've only used this two times in two years. So that's $24 if your steward people are out there, okay? So that brings us to the last verse. She requested a response by posing, by leaving me with a question. And sometimes ours might not be that one, but it might be the question of, will that work for you? We've posed a possibility for being responsible, for doing the thing they wanted to do and accomplishing. We said, will that work for you? Or I might say, what can I do to help you make that happen? What would it take for you to be able to do that? That's how the conversation can move forward, and we elicit that commitment. The last part is just requesting a response, and I did give a response. I accept the accountability fee. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> no, I did not change my mind. I, I stayed home that day and didn't do it. Um, but it does work, Right? How does this happen, though, in a small group? Well, in my Women Growing Together group, which Monday nights is, uh, is my night, we often start by sharing what we want to see changed in our lives because we're going to be part of this group. What is it you're hoping Jesus will do in you, through you? And people just you know, share that all around in the group. And I always like to take notes on that. This is what so-and-so would like. This is what so-and-so, because then we can begin praying for one another. But we also follow up with each other, particularly by the end of the study, we do the exact, the exact same thing and say, did it happen? How did that work for you? And that's a wonderful point of accountability. But in the in-between time, we ask questions, we share stories, we pray for one another. And we share scriptures of encouragement, words of encouragement with each other to keep us following Jesus. So there's courageous vulnerability and there's loving accountability. What about that third one? Compassionate care. Okay, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be somebody's project. Do you? I don't want to be somebody's burden. Do you? I don't want to be somebody's obligation to you. See, that's where the compassionate part comes in to this care. This is the emotion described most and most attributed to Jesus throughout the four Gospels. It says, Jesus looked at the crowd, saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he was filled with compassion. And it moved him to do something for them. And that's the thing about compassion. Compassion is all about being filled with concern and sympathy for others' needs. To be moved to act on somebody else's behalf. Jesus always helped, used it to move him to do something for them. Well, Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted and inconvenienced to love the people in front of him, including his small group of disciples. He got up close and personal. When he thought they were getting too tired, he got them on a boat and tried to get away. He took them for retreats, whether they be mountain retreats, 
or whether they be by-the-sea retreats. He got up close and personal and he compassionately cared. Galatians 6 verse 9 says it this way, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Jesus' own words out of John 13, he said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Compassionate care is nothing less than doing good to others like Jesus did. Loving people like Jesus did. And when we're connected to a small group of people, we actually get close enough to know their name and their story. And so we begin to understand what it is they need, especially week to week. And that's a powerful thing that then we get to respond to. And we decide to let our lives be interrupted and seemingly inconvenienced to help them. Sometimes it might be the phone call in the night. It might be coming home from vacation early because of a desperate need. It might be a meal delivered on their doorstep. It might be gifts of encouragement and, and cards along the way for somebody going through chemotherapy as they battle cancer. It might be noticing that that person has two bald tires and you understand that they're on their last dollar at the end of each month. And you go out and get a couple new tires for them. It might be doing a house repair that they could not afford to pay a handyman for. And sometimes it's just sitting with someone and helping them with receiving the worst news of their life, crying with them and helping them as they absorb that difficult news. You see, we grow to be more like Jesus when we're genuinely connected to one another in some kind of smaller group that fosters courageous vulnerability, loving accountability, and compassionate care. And I've asked some groupies, some friends of mine, groupies in the true sense of the word. They've been part of a lot of evergreen groups, and I've asked them to come on down, and I'm going to ask them to share with you this morning a few things that have happened for them in their lives because of the groups here at Evergreen they've been part of. And as they come up, if you'd get the group handout in your hand, that'd be awesome. And I just want to introduce them. It's Mona Montano, David Foley, Natalia Corso, and Ben Farley. Could you just give it up for these brave souls? Yeah. <laughs> and we'd just like to hear how your small group has helped you develop meaningful connections with others. Perfect. So, um, like she said, my name is Mona, and uh, my husband and I have been attending this church for about eight years now. We actually got married here and baptized here, so we've had quite a journey already here. Um, and when we first started coming, we attended different groups and that, but it wasn't until we did Rooted in the fall of 2017 um, that we really found that connection. We, we found our people, right, um, our community, and since then... We went through the first Rooted Together, and by the time we were done with that, we created such connection with that group of people, which was varied in age, and then their walk with Jesus, and just where they were, whether it be a new Christian, or, you know, they've been coming to church their whole life, and they're in their, you know, upper ages, um, that we were so connected that we found reasons to connect outside of just our 10 weeks together. Um, we actually ended up doing the second part of Rooted, which is called My Story. We, we 
did that. All of us came back together again the next fall and did that together. Um, and I mean, we've been, we've supported each other through moves, through babies being born, through surgeries, by delivering meals, doing a lot of things that you've kind of mentioned um, of what that connection really looks like, that meaningful, deep connection. Um, and really, we've become family. Like, we consider ourselves family. We got together for the holidays outside of our Rudy group. We are actually, we're just scheduling something today to connect tomorrow morning um, for coffee. And we just really are intentional about making connection even outside of our, our weekly meetings. And it, it has been a true thing for both my husband and I who attended it together to just be able to find that support and that community within this bigger, larger community that we have here at Evergreen. Thanks, Amana. Hello, um, I'm David. Um, uh, I'm new to my Christian faith, and so in 2017, in January, I did uh, the first Rooted. Um, it was the first small group that I was ever part of, and um, it was such a, a meaningful experience for me. Uh, uh, I walked into that first meeting um, thinking that there's no way that this kid is going to open up like some people are opening up. I just never thought that I would um, be uh, part of that walk. And I remember when it was my turn to um, uh, tell people about my walk and my start and where I was at in my life at, on that day. And I remember uh, uh, breaking down in front of people and not, not realizing how vulnerable I was going to allow myself to be. And when I had people praying for me and putting their hands on me, I knew from that point forward, I was in a place where I wanted to be. Um, it got me to a point to where we did the uh, second rooted, and then um, we decided to start a Bible study. And with the help of a few people, um, we're in our second year of doing that Bible study now, and it's just been awesome to connect with people and, and to move forward in our faith with, uh, with the starting that we had. Thanks, Dave. In Women Growing Together, I had the opportunity to be um, with a group of women for many different seasons and stages and experiences in life. And um, it was so meaningful to me to be able to be with such a variety. And, um, and in there, one of the most meaningful experiences kind of early on that happened is I had one of those holy vulnerability moments where my heart was beating fast and my palms were getting sweaty and I knew I had to share something. And so I shared um, about a jealousy that I was experiencing and not a new one, but one that was deep, dark, under the water of that iceberg. And um, I was fearful of what they would think of me. Is it bad? I'm, I work at a church. Okay. Is, is that okay to have jealousy? Um, but it, the, the effect of that was that they, they surrounded me. We began to have that sigh of relief that, oh, okay, we're all, we're all real here. Like we're, we're on the same page. We're dealing with the same struggles and we're all going to support each other through it. And that was very special. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Ben and, um, I've been at Evergreen a long time. And uh, after regularly attending for a long time, um, I noticed something about myself. I got really good at critiquing. I was very critical of certain things in the church. Sorry. And um, I'm cool with that. <laughs> um, and then someone suggested to me that um, 
my faith needs to mature. I need to move beyond that. And part of that is joining groups. So I joined my first group, uh, which was a life group a few years back. And this was the, uh, I think it was the kid starter age group. Uh, we, uh, all young parents of uh, either you're pregnant or you already have kids three to four years old. And uh, I was like, this is going to be terrible. But we did it anyway. <laughs> and um, I can't tell you, it changed, it changed my life. Uh, getting to ram my head into a wall with other people about raising <laughs> kids was, uh, it was comforting. And uh, you had, uh, you could do nothing but be vulnerable with these people who understood what it's like to raise. So just being, having that camaraderie, people with you. Uh, and then from that point on, um, uh, just... Uh, being in groups gives me that sense of ownership, uh, family with the, not just my group, but the church, uh, less critical, and um, enjoying the, the feeling of home. Thank you, Ben. Okay, question uh, number two. I'm going to give you a couple of options. And um, the first one is just how has your uh, group helped you to grow in Jesus? Or how has your group expressed compassionate care across the weeks, months, years, whichever it is. So Ben, take it away, whichever one of those. Uh, so the current group I get to be a part of is a study built around the book, The Purpose Driven Life, and it is, uh, it hits deep. <laughs> you get into these chapters, and it's a group of men, and uh, as men, we're maybe not great about opening up to one another at first, but then once you do, good luck turning it off. Um, <laughs> And so this group, it's a group of, of great guys who just want to learn together, be together, and uh, the accountability of being a part of that group mm -hmm. is enormous because when you come to service, when I come to service, I see a lot of familiar faces, and every once in a while we're missing somebody, but maybe they're coming to the next service. I, I don't really think about it, but when we sit around that table with eight or nine guys and someone's missing, we know they're gone. And if they didn't give us a really good reason ahead of time, you, can, you better bet they're going to hear about it. They're going to get a text or a call. And, you know, we're concerned about one another. And feeling uh, like someone cares that you're there or not, mm -hmm. uh, again, brings that sense of peace and home. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's why I enjoy the group. That's awesome. Thanks, man. So during our group, we, um, we cared for each other in a different ways. Sometimes it looked like bringing chocolates for each other um, or baked goods. Other times it was just that honest conversation and um, laughing and crying. Um, and then after our group, it's been so cool to see the, the way that we've been able to connect and um, pick up, a, almost it feels like pick up where we left off, but it, it's not asking how are you and like, oh, good, but it's knowing that their response is going to be authentic, and um, and it, it might be, oh, well, it's I'm still struggling with the same thing I was struggling with during group, or actually it's gotten so much better, and so we can celebrate, but um, it's been really wonderful even after the group to have those connections um, and the way that my group has supported me too, like I had a loss in, um, in my family circle and they helped me brainstorm ways that I could support my family and, um, and just that really vulnerable, difficult time. Thank you. Um, I, I focused more on, um, the Christ-like aspect. Um, I, I had rarely, uh, thought about going to church or, uh, doing any type of church, 
um, until sometime in 2015. And so um, being new to Christ and walking alongside him, <clears throat> I wanted to make sure that I wanted to understand who he was. And so I joined uh, a men's group on uh, Friday mornings to, to get more involved and, and to read scripture with, with guys. And, and then um, I'm also involved with uh, Jordan's group and Ben on Thursday mornings. And once we started the Bible study, I realized um, I, I really didn't know much. I was, I, was, I was just that little kid crawling. And so it made me want to um, reach into the Bible a little bit more, um, understand uh, what everybody was talking about, not be afraid to ask people questions during Bible study, and make the phone call to meet with somebody for coffee to help explain where I was going. Um, so this year I made a really, uh, I'm making a, an effort to read the Bible uh, from front to back. And when I did bring that up to our men's group on Thursday, you know, I got a couple of, you know, ideas. And, and now I'm following a plan that I think is really, you know, really going to suit me. And I, I appreciate uh, the guys leading me in that direction. So I, I'm just eager to learn. I'm, I'm, e I'm eager to, to be um, the best that I can be standing next to him. That's me. Thanks, Dave. So Rooted had found me in a place in life where I was just really just searching for the bigger purpose, right? Like we all kind of sometimes get into the rut where we're just kind of going through life. And um, when Rooted started, uh, I'd wanted to do it the season before and it just didn't fit. And it was the right timing for me because of the fact that I was in a place just in my career and where I was working that it was just very toxic, very tough to deal with. And through the Rooted, the 10 weeks in the group with the group, um, they really supported me in helping me to just be able to make a decision. I did end up deciding by the end of it to leave my job. Um, and it was a long time coming, and it just was finally, like, it was everything we were studying lined up. And that, that search, that internal search of just figuring out what's my next, what's my next step as a Christian? What does this look like? What, how can I better live out my life for, you know, the greater purpose of what God has planned for me? Um, and part of it was just kind of moving on from that, which opened me up to be able to really explore what God has for me. And since then, I've been able to say yes to a lot more things and just being able to help out more here in the kids ministry as well as with the women's group. Um, and just starting to kind of go down that path of just building his kingdom and being living, living life on purpose for him and for what he has for my life and for my family's life. Um, and our overall quality of life has gotten so much better um, since being able to make that decision and just having that support of the group and encouragement to, to go ahead and make that, take that next step and, you know, grow my faith this way. So it's been amazing just to see the results of that. Could we just say thank you to these guys for bravely coming up? Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. So you know, at the end of each one of these, we ask that question. So what is God speaking to you about for your next best step? And I just want to mention these three steps. First of all, today, it might be your opportunity to get right with God. The most important small group in the world is you and God. It's where everything starts because it's where you get set free. It's where you get forgiven. It's where you know that you can risk because he's going to be with you in the risk. You're not going to do it alone. And um, it's where you find hope, and it's your source of greatest peace 
Not each other, though we can add to that, but it starts with Jesus. And the way you do that is just to say yes to what he did by going to the cross, dying in our place, offering us forgiveness, past, present, and future. We are completely covered. He's extended his grace toward us. And he said when he went to be uh, in heaven with his father that he was going to send his Holy Spirit. And today, when you say yes to Jesus, to a relationship with him, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And he starts this adventure with you. And it really is is an adventure, and it really is moment by moment, and he's going to be with you all the way, but I want you to know that if you decide to start that adventure today, that the outcome is never in question for him. He loves you. He cares about you today, and so if that's your decision, great decision, feel free to grab us in the lobby. Grab one of these leaders that you saw up here. Grab one of the leaders you've seen around, one of the pastors, and ask them about that. Tell them the decision that you've made. And then second uh, really uh, step that you might take today is to step away from your fear and into a group. And I gave you this current groups um, and a few of them that are going to start soon so you'd have a heads up. But there is one of them I want to highlight or a couple of them. One is under Rooted. You heard a little bit about Rooted and you've heard that in ongoing fashion. But the Tuesday night group has some room and they've only met one time. So, you know, you can only miss two times in a rooted group but in 10 weeks. But this group still has openings. It wouldn't be too late to start. And maybe that would be your bold step today to decide to be part of that for the next nine weeks and have the adventure that these guys all shared about. Um, Secondly, you'll notice that there's some new groups starting and one of those uh, starts right away. But for all of these groups, you notice there's not a lot of info here except for the leader and the title. That's because at the kiosk in the lobby, you can get all the particulars already laid out, pictures of the leaders. The whole nine yards is out there, and we invite you to pick one of those up. But the best step you'll ever take is a step away from fear and toward what God has for you. So we invite you to consider that. And that brings us to the last option for you, and that's to try a group again. Okay, maybe you did have the Jesus experience all in one group, all in a short period of time, right? Just one big hot mess. Okay, but this is your chance to try again, knowing that sometimes things are messier than others, and the grace that you want to experience in your life, we extend to the experiences we've had. And the way we do that is to not let it stop us, not let us let it get us stuck. And so we forgive what's happened in the past and step into a new beginning with another group. Give us a chance to be better than we've been. We all need that opportunity, and this is how you can do it. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to say thank you to you. Thank you for relationship. Thank you for making it possible for us to relate to one another, Lord, to get past our messes and forgive. Get past our messes, Lord, and really let our guard down and say no to fear and yes to opportunity. No to fear and yes to possibilities of getting rid of the social isolation and loneliness that can happen when we stay just the individual trying to make it on our own. So, Lord, this week, I pray that each one of us would take the next best step that you've highlighted for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.